0: said? Amen Amen to that. That was a blessing. Thank you so much uh, for that special, and uh, good morning uh, to you, Wayside Chapel. Again, it is a joy uh, to be uh, with you uh, for this missions conference. Uh, I want to commend you for taking the time this morning to pray for the persecuted church. Wow, that's very convicting to me. Um, What an example as we think about uh, those that are being persecuted for their faith, what an example of committed Christianity. Uh, uh, That is um, convicting for me as an American because uh, in the United States of America, we have a tendency uh, to portray a convenient Christianity. Uh, I will serve the Lord when it's convenient. And um, we look at those that are persecuted all over the world for their faith And it really is convicting to us, isn't it? Uh, The average, uh, I've been told the average American Christian uh, gives more money per month to their pets than they do the gospel going around the world. It really is um, convicting when you think about the persecuted church. Uh, It's been said that the average Christian in America gives more money per month to their cell phone bill than they do the gospel going around the world. It's convicting when we think about the persecuted church and so um, I appreciate it. I commend you for taking time this morning to pray uh, for them. I want to just say uh, thank you uh, to be a part of this missions conference. We feel overwhelmed. There's not a missionary on deputation or a missionary in the country right now that would not want to be a part of Wayside Chapel's missions conference, and so thank you For including us, Pastor Weiler. We appreciate it very much. Uh, Church family, thank you so much for the uh, comfortable accommodations, uh, the overflowing gift basket that was given to us, the gift card. Uh, The meals have been absolutely amazing. I've eaten too much. Uh, I'm going to be the fastest growing missionary in America uh, (laughs) if I stay with you any longer. We've been fed so much that when I leave this afternoon, I'm going to leave fed up with you. No, no I'm just kidding. And uh, so thank you for the wonderful meals. Uh, thank you for the music. And uh, Pastor Donald, thank you for all you do for the music uh, program here. And those of you that have had a part, it's just been a great, uh, great experience. It's been a joy for Amy and I and Cooper, uh, not only to get to know your pastor and his family, uh, but also uh, Brother Champlin and, and uh, Pastor Champlin and uh, missionary chaplain and his testimony as i said on friday night he is a hero of the faith 47 years uh, as a missionary or on the mission field and you really need to go by and meet him and get to know him and introduce your children uh, to him uh, because his testimony is stellar and we praise the lord for the privilege of getting to know him. Uh, Just a quick 60-second summary. If I'm meeting you for the very first time, I had the joy and privilege of being a pastor at Mount Vernon, Ohio. Did that 15 years, went on a missions trip, and one missions trip turned into six missions trips, and four of those were with the ministry we now serve with. Surprise, surprise, Worldview Ministries. And I was made aware uh, of this statistic that more than half of the languages of the world do not have a Bible. Roughly Roughly about 7,000 languages in the world and almost 4,000 of them do not have a Bible. And so God used that uh, statistic to call us from pastor to missionary. So we are now director of national training with Worldview Ministries, meaning that we will have the joy and privilege to go overseas and introduce our ministry of a Bible translation uh, to uh, pastors of like faith and practice with the hope and prayer of having more Bible translation projects. We have nine right now, we have projects in India, Uganda, China, Tibet, Myanmar, a brand new project in the country of Iran, and if you'd like to learn more about those projects stop by our table, grab a prayer card, grab one of our booklets, and it will inform you about our ministry, it'll show you how to better pray for our projects, and we talked about persecuted churches and Christians this morning. Pray for our project in Myanmar. If you know uh, about what's going on there in Myanmar, uh, you know that we have a good reason to pray for our Bible translators that are there uh, right now. And so that's what God's called us to. I'm going to ask you to take your Bible and turn with me to Mark chapter 2 if you haven't turned there already. And uh, let me again commend you for this, um, for having a missions conference. Don't you just believe with all of your heart this morning that God, our Heavenly Father, is pleased with what is taking place at Wayside Chapel this weekend. As you as a church family get together, probably one of the most important meetings you will have all year as you discuss Uh, the topic of the Great Commission and what can we as a church do more for the gospel going around the world. Uh, Almost half of the world has never heard of Jesus Christ, not, not even one time. And here you are as a church family getting together to discuss, to collaborate, to communicate on what you can do as a church to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't you just know that God is pleased with that? I was telling the church uh, Friday night that uh, I remember our first missions uh, emphasis weekend at Mount Vernon Baptist Temple. Uh, We had about $10,000 coming out of our general fund uh, to go to missionaries. And we had an individual come in and uh, just present uh, a missions conference for us. And we just simply asked our church family, a church family of about 70 back then, hey, what can we pray about giving to the gospel going around the world on top of tithes and offerings what can we just pray about giving specifically directly to missions and i was a little nervous pastor i thought well what if they what if they agree to $5000 that we've just gone from $10000 down to we've gone backwards that very first missions conference our church family of 70 people uh, pledged $42,000 on top of tithes and offerings to go to the gospel going around the world. And boy, that did a, a lot for our church, I'll tell you right now. I uh, put $10,000 back into our general fund, but it also allowed us to take on so many more missionaries. And all we did was this. We just asked our church family to pray about it. Just pray about what God would have you to give uh, for missions in the upcoming year. And so uh, I praise the Lord for your church and your heart for, for mission and your love for the Lord, your love for his word. I believe this. I believe every pastor during a missions conference prays three things. I really do. I believe every pastor prays, Lord, send missionaries out of our church. Send young people all across the world to be missionaries, to represent us, uh, as a church family, taking the gospel around the world. I, I believe every, every pastor prays that. I believe every pastor prays that there would be 100% participation, that every uh, member, every attender would participate and get involved with missions in the upcoming year. And then I, I believe this, I know this without a shadow of a doubt because uh, this is where I was for 15 years. Every pastor prays that our missions program would increase that we wouldn't stay the same, that certainly we would not go backwards, but that we would increase, and so uh, I'm very thankful to be a part of this missions uh, conference, and again, thank you for everything, everything that you've done. Um, Before we look at Mark 2, I want to just say one more thing, and this is part of my introduction to the sermon uh, this morning. When we would have missions conferences at my church at Mount Vernon, I would try to encourage my church family with uh, this truth. I would tell them that a missions conference is like three events wrapped up into one. For example, I would say that a missions conference is like a pep rally. Now, you know what a pep rally is, right? It's where you encourage the team to go forth to battle, so to speak. It's where you encourage them to stay in the fight. And I want you to know uh, that We have been encouraged by being in your missions conference this weekend. A missions conference is like a pep rally, number one. Number two, a missions conference is like a business meeting. As a matter of fact, I believe it's the most important business meeting you will have all year. Why? Because you're getting together to collaborate and communicate on what? How can we do more for missions in the upcoming year? D.L. Moody said this one time that a missions conference is a business meeting where the church meets to decide the fate. Of the heathen. As a result of this missions conference this weekend, you will have an opportunity, are you ready for this? To cast your vote for missions. You will have an opportunity to cast your ballot, so to speak, for the gospel going around the world. A a missions conference is like a business meeting. And then lastly, a missions conference is like a revival meeting. We were just in a missions conference uh, down in Florida where there were two individuals saved at a missions conference. Uh, Christians surrender their lives at a missions conference. Why? Because a Christian is confronted with this truth. Am I going to lay up more treasure on earth or more treasure in heaven? Am I going to set my affections on things above or am I going to set my affection on things that are on the earth? Hey, a missions conference is like a revival meeting. Well, we find all three, we find all three events in this text this morning. We see a revival because a soul is saved. We see uh, the demonstration of faith because Jesus saw their faith. We see a revival meeting. We see a pep rally because in verse number 12, they all go away praising the Lord and encouraged and then we see a business meeting, because all of this takes place because four individuals get together and do what we've said just a moment ago. They collaborate, and they communicate with this truth. How are we going to get our friend, our loved one, our coworker, our acquaintance to Jesus? Let's uh, look at verses 1 through 5 this morning, and then we'll pray and get into it. And uh, Mark Chapter Two, and Verses One through Five, and again he entered in Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them, and they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay, when Jesus saw their faith. He said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. For just a few minutes this morning, let's look at this truth from this text. How do we bring the world to Jesus? Bringing the world to Jesus. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time together. Father, we love you. Thank you for the privilege of being in your house today. We thank you for how our hearts have already been encouraged by being uh, with this dear church family. We're thankful for brothers and sisters in Christ. We're thankful for comfort. We're thankful for strength. We're thankful for encouragement. As iron sharpeneth iron, it's been a joy to rub shoulders with these dear people this morning. Father, I thank you for the music all all weekend. Uh, Father, what a joy to uh, be encouraged through uh, this music that points all attention to the one that deserves it most, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you this morning for the power of your word and the power of your spirit. And we pray that you would use both in our midst, Father, to do something spiritual in my life, in our lives, in our marriages, our families, in our church family, in our circle of influence, as it's abundantly clear in your word you've called us to be salt and light in this wicked world. Bless our time together, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. How do we bring the world to Jesus? How do we evangelize the world? That's what a missions conference is all about, correct? In our text this morning, we find three aspects, if you will, of world evangelism, or uh, a game plan, if you will, for, for world evangelism. I find three aspects of world evangelism in our text. Number one, if you're taking notes, we see compassion on a soul compassion on a soul. Look at verse 3 again, if you will, with me. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. Sometimes, somewhere before verse number 3, there was that business meeting that we discussed. Where again, there was collaboration, there was communication, and the discussion was this. How do we get this individual to Jesus? And my friend this morning, church family this morning, that takes compassion. Compassion on a soul. Now the word compassion is a fascinating word. If you study it out, uh, you will find that there are three elements of compassion. In order to have true compassion, you need to have, number one, an awareness of a situation, number two, an attitude of sympathy, and number three, an action that supplies the need. In other other words, in order for us to have true compassion, there needs to be an awareness of a situation. That's our head an attitude of sympathy, that's our heart, and an action that supplies the need, that's our hands. It needs to go from our head to our heart to our hands. That is true compassion. In other words, here's the point. If you only have an awareness of a situation, and you only have an attitude of sympathy... But there is no action that supplies the need. Mark it down. You do not have compassion. You only have concern. And there is a difference. There's a big difference between compassion and concern. I think of Matthew chapter 9 and verses 36 through 38. It says when he, Jesus, saw the multitudes. There's An awareness of a situation. Of course, Jesus is omniscient. He knows everything. He was moved with compassion. There's the attitude of sympathy, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then said, saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. What is compassion? It's an awareness of a situation. It's an attitude of sympathy and it's an action that supplies the need. What action did Jesus have? He prayed, the Lord of the harvest, pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth labors, sending forth labors. There's the, ad, the action that supplies the need. I think of the good Samaritan, and this is a paraphrase, but when he saw that man beaten and battered and bruised in the ditch, what did he do? He had compa- when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And what did he do, church family? He went to him and he bound up his wounds, and he put him on his own beast, and he took him to an inn, and he took care of him. There was the action that supplied the need. You say, Brother Bill, where are you going with this? Well, here's the point. There is no compassion without action. That's the point. There is no compassion without action. This week, you've been made aware of many needs. Needs with Bible translation. uh, Needs in Suriname. uh, Needs in Chile. Needs in Papua New New Guinea. Here's the point. There is no compassion without action. If you're uh, saved, and I believe, and I trust uh, with all my heart that you're saved this morning, uh, you instinctively... Just because you're a blood-bought child of God, when you're made aware of a situation, you immediately have an attitude of sympathy. But there's no compassion without action. Rem- I'm reminded of a story that I heard when I was a children's pastor about a little boy during the Great Depression that lived in one of our great cities of our country, and he was sent uh, from, uh, by his mother to the market to buy some eggs. And so she gave him a little bit of money, he, he, he walked down the, the busy sidewalk street of that city, he went to the market, he bought some eggs, he purchased some eggs, and as he was leaving the market, he tripped and fell. And those eggs scattered and splattered all over that busy city sidewalk. People, passerbyers that were going by, they they stopped him and they patted him on the head and they they tried to wipe his tears and they tried to give him words of encouragement, but one gentleman stopped. One gentleman stopped and he reached into his pocket and he handed that boy some money and he said, I to the, those listening, he said, I care this much. How much do the rest of you care? You know what that little boy needed more than words of encouragement? More than just uh, picking him up and dusting him off, he needed to replace those (laughs) eggs that he had broken. As you've been made aware of needs this weekend, how much, church family, I'm speaking to myself, how much do we care? How much do we care? There is no compassion without action. Did Christ assign an impossible task? No. Then why is it that almost half of the world has never heard of Jesus Christ one time? Did Christ assign an impossible task? Why is it? that Of the 7,000 languages in the world, almost 4,000 of them do not have one verse of Scripture. Did Christ assign an impossible task? No. He doesn't work that way. Maybe it's just that we as a church are not as compassionate as we ought to be. We see in our text this morning a game plan for world evangelism. How do we as a church family bring the world to Jesus, mark it down? We must, we must, number one, have compassion on a soul. And that brings us to number two this morning from our text. We see not only do we need to have compassion on a soul, but number two, we need to have cooperation with the saints. We need to have cooperation with the saints. Look at verse number three again. Verse number three, And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of how many? Four. Uh, Again, sometime, somewhere before before verse number three, there was, again, that collaboration, that communication, and cooperation. Cooperation. And this discussion was had, how are we going to get our friend, our loved one, our neighbor, our co-worker to the Lord Jesus Christ? And they cooperated together to get it done. Four of them. Uh, I've heard of the song, someone who is creative, they wrote a song about this, and and it was uh, called The Quartet That Raised the Roof. That's pretty good. I heard a preacher one time preach on this topic, and and he preached on this topic. This was the title from this text, When Four of a Kind Beats a Full House. Now, I don't know what that means. I'm pretty sure it has nothing to do with uno, but I don't know what that means. But uh, these four work together to get the job done. Here's the point, church family. You can't do it alone. I can't do it alone. It takes a team. It is a team Effort. You can't support all the missionaries of Wayside Chapel by yourself. It takes a team effort. As a matter of fact, this concept of working together reminds me of a word that is in the title of your conference uh, theme, Striving Together for the Faith of the Gospel. Turn with me, if you will, very quickly to Philippians chapter 1. Let's just read that verse Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27. Philippians 1.27, the Bible says in Philippians 1.27, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind. Here it is, striving together for the faith of the gospel. I love your theme this weekend. This is wonderful. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. The word striving is an all, it's also a very interesting word. The word striving as I understand it, and I'm not a Greek scholar and I'm not uh, uh, you know, I'm not Webster, okay? But my idea is I study the word striving, the word striving has this idea. It is something that we protect all the while we promote. We promote it while we protect it. Um you know this to be true. We protect the purity of the gospel in the sanctuary. But we promote the power of the gospel in the streets, right? And, and so the gospel is something, something that we must protect all the while we promote. It's a great illustration of football. I love football. I love to talk about football. I like to watch football. But what do you do with a football? You protect it all the while. Hopefully, you promote it. And, and what a great illustration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we may use the football illustration, you hike the football to Pastor Wyler. Pastor Wyler lines it back to the mission board. The mission board throws a long uh, bomb into the end zone uh, to, to Brother Champlin, and he catches it for a touchdown. A soul is saved. Amen. How many of you want to see Brother Champlin do his victory dance in the end zone? We won't, we won't make him do that. But that's what we are to do. The point is this church family, it is a team effort. It takes all of us uh, to get involved with the spreading of the gospel to a lost and dying world. It's a team effort. We protect and promote the gospel. We see in our text a game plan for world evangelism. We see, number one, compassion on a soul. We see cooperation with the saints, and then we want to park here for just a moment. Number three in our text, we see this. We see a commitment that succeeds. A commitment that succeeds. Look at verse number four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. We see from these four That there is a commitment that succeeds. They would not be distracted. They would not be discouraged. They would not be defeated. They would not cower. They would not quit. But we see it sadly happening in churches all over America. It seems like the first thing to go in many churches is the missions program. I was blessed, Amy and I were blessed in the church that we were in in Mount Vernon. We were there for 15 years, and we were blessed to have a, a retired missionary and his wife be members of our church. Uh, Brother Ward Harris and his wife Sarah Jane, they, they served for 30 years in the Central Republic of Africa. And um, he just passed away uh, a year ago at, at the age of 100. And um, I, I remember one day, um, just probably three or four years before he passed, he had a relative in Iowa pass away. I believe it was a sister-in-law and his son, Stephen, who's a missionary in Mexico, came all the way home and came back to Ohio and drove his mom and dad to Iowa for the memorial service for the funeral. And when they returned, when they got back after a few days, I had the opportunity to sit down with Brother Ward and just talk to him a little bit and fellowship with him a little bit. And the topic of the memorial service came up. And... Church family this morning, he began to cry. As a matter of fact, He started to cry, and he was not one to be overly emotional, so this was kind of a rare thing for him. And uh, he started to weep so much that he could hardly talk. And I just assumed, Pastor, that he was upset about the memorial service and his loved one that had passed away. And so me trying to be a good pastor, uh, you know, here I am, uh, a younger guy, trying to encourage a a man who was a missionary 30 years on on the mission field, and I tried to wax eloquent. And he, he scolded me a little bit. He said, no, 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 that's not why I'm crying. I'm not crying because of my loved one. I'm going to see her again. She was saved. She's a believer. He said, that's not why I'm crying. And when he regained his composure, he told this story. He said, we, when we were on the mission field in Africa, uh, there was a church in Iowa that supported us for, for many, many years. And one day, we received a letter from them that they were going to have to cut our support in half he said, I wasn't upset about that. That happens. We understand things happen. And, and that really uh, was not a discouragement to us at all. We, we truly understood. But it wasn't very many years later that they received a letter that they, that church was no longer able to support them on the mission field. And again, he said, I, I understand that happens sometimes. But uh, as he was driving with his son and his wife into this little town in Iowa, for the memorial service, he passed that very church that used to support him. And the pastor was all boarded up. And uh, the church was no longer in existence. It was empty, it was vacant. It um, It had gone out of business, so to speak, if a church can do that. And he began to cry and he said, Brother Bill, he said, I just can't help if The demise of that church started when they began to uh, take away their missions program. He said, I I just can't help but wonder if the lack of emphasis on missions started the downward spiral for that church. It's been said that the heartbeat of the church is what, church family? It's missions. It's missions. I remember hearing a story one time about a man who was a very famous uh, artist and he was asked to paint a picture that the title was The Death of, of the Church. And so he was given a few months to paint this picture. And on the day that the picture was to be uh, unveiled, uh, everyone came and gathered in this room. And there was a there was a sheet over the the, the, the canvas. And everybody was talking about what they thought the church was going to look like. And and people said, well, I bet it's going to be uh, you know uh, in need of paint, and the and the boards are falling off the church, and the and the landscaping is all overgrown, and 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 probably that's what it's going to look like. And they took the sheet off of the portrait, or off the picture, and uh, it was a beautiful building. It was a large brick building with a manicured lawn and a beautiful white steeple that was uh, outlined by a beautiful blue sky, and people kind of looked at each other, and, 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 and finally one of them mustered up enough courage to said, I thought you were going to paint a picture of a decaying church, the death of the church. And the artist went over to the picture, and he, he pointed at the window in the front of the church. And as you went over and peered in, you could see in the foyer, in the vestibule, in the lobby of that church, there was a little box hanging on a hook on the wall, and it said, Foreign Missions, and over the slot where you would contribute money, there was a cobweb. And he said, that is my idea of a decaying church, a dying church. I'm just simply trying to say this church family this morning that your missions program here at Wayside Chapel is going to be as, it's only going to be as successful as you are faithful. The missions program at Wayside Chapel is only going to be as strong as you as an individual are committed. May it ever be said of the church here at Wayside, that you're committed to keep the main thing the main thing. We find three aspects of world evangelism, a game plan, if you will, for world evangelism in our text, compassion on a soul, cooperation with the saints, and a commitment that succeeds. When I read a book not too long before going out on deputation, I read a story in this particular book called Revolution and World Missions, and it reminded me of our four in Mark chapter 2. And let me read a portion of, of that book to you. The author says this, I think of a team of five young pioneer missionaries from India whom the Lord called to begin a mission in the northern part of India. He said they had no money for train fare, let alone for food or rent. Everyone, friends and family, discouraged them from going and begged them to stay home. But this was their answer. If we have no money to go by train, then we will walk the 1,500 miles. If one of us becomes sick and dies on the way, we will bury him on the roadside and the rest of us will continue on. And if only one of us survives the journey and reaches our destination and places only one gospel track on the hot desert sand of that state before he dies, they concluded, we will have fulfilled our mission and we will have obeyed our Lord. Why? Because they had compassion on a soul because they had cooperation with the saints, and they had a commitment that would succeed. We see an amazing picture of world evangelism in our text. We see a a wonderful picture of the Great Commission in our text. But notice verse number 5. The Bible says, when Jesus saw their faith. When Jesus saw their faith. Not only do we see a picture of the Great Commission, we find a great commendation from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The Lord blessed their faith because He saw their faith. In Wayside Chapel, the Lord sees your faith. You are given an opportunity for the Lord to see your faith. The question is this, when God sees your faith, what will He find? When the Lord sees your faith as a result of this mission's uh, conference, will your faith be commended or your faith be condemned? You've been given an opportunity to demonstrate your faith as a result of this missions conference in praying, in giving, in in surrendering, in your willingness to go, in your willingness to support. You're being given an opportunity to demonstrate your faith. And it takes compassion on a soul. You can't have compassion without action. It takes cooperation with the saints. Are you a part of the team this morning? And it takes a commitment that succeeds. Are you convinced in your heart of hearts that it's necessary because of the Great Commission to keep the main thing the main thing? In conclusion, I said at the beginning of the sermon that I would encourage my church family with uh, this thought that a missions conference was like three events rolled into one. It's like a pep rally. Would you think of your missions pledge card this morning as a banner? Go team. Go team. We're behind you. We're with you. We're here for you. Think of your pledge card as a a banner. Hey, church family, a missions conference is like a business meeting. Think about your pledge card as a ballot. I'm for missions. I'm for the gospel going around the world. Think of it as a ballot. And then a missions conference is like a revival meeting. Think think of your pledge card as a a decision card, a decision slip. Uh, When someone would come forward and pass, uh, there would be a a decision slip that would be filled out and given to the preacher to read, so-and-so has come forth tonight to trust Christ as their Savior, to come forth uh, to uh, be baptized or to join the church what decision, what decision would God have you to make as a result of this mission's conference? Maybe it's to pray more. Maybe it's to give more. Maybe it's to witness more. Maybe it's to come forward uh, in your heart of hearts and say, God, I want you to know I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. May God help us as a result of this mission's conference uh, to be a part of the team here at Wayside Chapel. Father, we